Welcome to Coach House Talks. So, being a teacher, I always have to get a story about teaching in somewhere. So, a child failed to give in his homework. So his teacher asked him to write an essay as to why he didn't do it. And he said this. I didn't do my homework because the weekend is a stress-free time for playing games, going out with my friends and watching TV. I also didn't do it because it makes me mad and unhappy. I do what makes me happy, because I like being happy. Plus, my mum's been finding grey hairs, not trying to stress out. Two weeks ago, Annie talked about how God shapes us, because he cares for us and he loves us. Today, we're going to talk about happiness. So first, let's define happiness. What is it? The Oxford English Dictionary defines happiness as a deep pleasure in one's circumstances. It comes from the Norse word hap, which means good luck or chance. So happiness has to do with our situation in life. It has to do with what's happening around us, with our circumstances, and how our natural emotions react to that. Our culture is absolutely obsessed with happiness. You can see it everywhere you look, in advertising, in the shops, on social media. The highest thing we could possibly achieve in our culture would be to be happy forever. This thinking has snuck its way into the church, and it's called prosperity gospel. These people teach that it's God's will for your life to have a happy life, and that includes health, wealth, and success, as long as you keep financially giving to the church. They teach that when you're not happy, it's just a time of preparation before God's harvest in your life. Now, these people aren't entirely wrong. When we reach eternity, we will be happy forever. There'll be no more crying, no more pain. We'll be living exactly how God wants us to live. But that's not till after we die. They're also not entirely wrong in that God doesn't want us to live a miserable life. He doesn't cause misery for us. He might allow us to go through things for a purpose, but he's not a cruel God that likes watching us suffer. These people take Bible verses out of context to try and back up what they're saying. For example, Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. A prosperity gospel teacher might say that this good is happiness rather than growth or cultivation. And in Psalm 37 verse 4 it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. A prosperity gospel teacher would say, see, God will give you whatever you want. Without understanding that as you delight yourself in him, as you grow closer to him, your desires will line up with his. The problem with this teaching is that we will all go through hard times. And those we love will go through hard times as well. One day we will all die, which for those that are left is the hardest thing. There's never a good way to die. Even Paul talks about some suffering he was going through. He calls it a thorn in his side that he prayed would be removed, and it wasn't. If you believe in a prosperity gospel, these things would be very difficult to weather. It would be hard to keep going through the troubles of life, especially when they feel constant. We might also try to avoid pain, even if that's God's will for us. Last week, Brother Assad talked to us about missionaries and how they're in very difficult situations. If they worried about having a comfortable life or making their situation happy, they would never fulfill all that God has for them. 
There are, however, many verses in the Bible where God promises we're blessed and we'll have joy. For example, Jeremiah 17, verse 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And Galatians 5 includes joy as a fruit of the Spirit. In 22 to 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus, in John 16, verse 24, says to his disciples, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now I know what you're thinking. Being blessed, having joy, being happy, aren't they all the same thing? Especially that verse in John, it sounds like Jesus is saying, pray for whatever you want and God will just give it to you so that you're happy. Well, let's look back at the definition. The definition of happiness is external circumstances going well. It's things outside ourselves, things around us, things in our world going the way we want them. Having joy and being blessed are slightly different to that. So having joy is the solid assurance of the hope that we have. It's being certain in God's care for us. It doesn't come from our visible circumstances, and it's not a raw emotion. It's not how we would naturally react to our situations. It's a choice to trust and keep on trusting in God and his care for us, even when things don't go away, even when it looks on the outside that things are going wrong. Being blessed means being protected, holy, set apart under God's promises. Again, it's got nothing to do with circumstances. Even if the very worst should happen, even if we die the most horrible death, we would still be under God's protection in an eternal sense. God's promises are sure. So what does God promise us? Well, he promises that he loves us. 1 John 4 verses 9 to 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God gave everything to have a relationship with us. He gave his very own son. He gave his very self just so that we could know him. He also promises we don't need to worry about death. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. However, we are never promised happiness. In fact, we're promised quite the opposite. James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if you meet trials, when you meet trials. And Matthew 6 verse 24, Jesus says to those listening around him, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That doesn't sound to me like circumstances will work out at all. In fact, we will all struggle. Even still, we have a hope. We know that God is in control and that he cares for us, no matter what happens to us along the way. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells a story about two men building houses. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall 
because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, the storms came for both houses. The man on the rock wasn't protected from not having a storm. The wind still came, the rain still came, the streams still rose. Being God's child does not protect us from the hard things that happen in life. But it does mean that we have a secure foundation. In Ecclesiastes, we can read about the wisdom of Solomon, all he learned from being a rich and powerful king. Now, he tried everything that the world said would satisfy him. He tried wisdom, he tried riches, he tried work. All that the world said would fulfill. But he found all of it empty. None of it truly satisfied him. See, happiness can be elusive. The more we chase it, the further away it gets. This is because God's true purpose for us, our real deep meaning and longing, is not for happiness. You might think life would be easier if it was. You wouldn't have to worry about doing the right thing, just what felt right. People use this to excuse all sorts of sins. They say, God, wouldn't mind if, God won't mind if I do this sin because he wants me to be happy. They use it to excuse affairs <clears throat> because the new person makes him so happy. It doesn't matter what God said about marriage. This person makes me happy, so I'm going to do it. They use it to excuse neglecting their health because fast food makes them happy and healthy food and exercise, that doesn't quite hit the spot. They use it to excuse giving up church and reading the Bible because it's annoying having to get up every Sunday morning. And, you know, those people can be a bit difficult sometimes. And there's those hard bits in the Bible that don't fit my lifestyle, so I'll just label them as irrelevant and move on. But the problem is God has so much more for us. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27, Paul says this, In a race, all the runners run. But only one gets the prize. You know that, don't you? So run in a way that will get you the prize. All who take part in the games train hard. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So I do not run like someone who doesn't run towards the finish line. I do not fight like a boxer who hits nothing but air. No, I train my body and bring it under control. Then after I have preached to others, I myself will not break the rules. If I did break them, I would fail to win the prize. As most of you probably know, Jamie and I have just finished the Couch 5K program, and we're still trying to go out, meant to be three times a week, normally not, um, running for five, 5K. And there are points in every single run even now, several months into it, where I'm out of breath, my muscles hurt, the end seems miles off, and it just doesn't seem worth it. I just want to quit. I have to keep pushing through. I have to persevere to get the prize, which in my case is improved fitness. The prize we are fighting for is so much bigger than that. So we should be willing to endure more. We also might not be able to see what our endurance and hard work will lead to. 
Corrie Ten Boom wrote this poem. It says, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. You see, sometimes we only see the messy and difficult side of the pattern. We can only see the underside. We can only see the bit that doesn't really make much sense. But we need to remember, whatever our side of the tapestry looks like, God's plan is so much bigger and better than we can imagine. We need to push through and keep on running and persevering through this life, even when the dark and difficult threads are being woven. Now you might say, it's all well and good, Becca, you compare in life to running. But with running, you see the results quicker, you start getting fitter, you start being able to run longer, and then you start getting those endorphins to help you not give up and give you an emotional boost. Well, you see, it's interesting because scientists say, what scientists say you need to be happy long-term is commanded or advised in the Bible. Almost everything they say we should do to improve our happiness are the guidelines that God has already given us. Whether that be stability in marriage and home life, or having an attitude of gratitude, or keeping up our physical well-being, or giving to charity, or having a purpose outside ourselves, or having a community, or singing, or dancing, or not worrying about tomorrow. All of these things are in the Bible. You see, sometimes the world takes time to prove what God has already told us. More than that, just like I need the run to be hard to improve my fitness, we need hardships in order to improve. Just like that child at the start needed his homework to improve his spelling and his grammar, we need hard times to be better at going through hard times and fully living for Christ. We need to reach our limits in order to improve our limits. James 1 verse 2 that I read earlier continues to verse 4 like this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, we need hard times to knock off our hard corners, our sharp edges, so that we're more rounded and we fit together better. We need hard times to fulfill or we were made to fulfill. Having said that, God isn't the cause of our hard times. God doesn't cause us misery, like I said earlier. We go through tough times because people sin. Whether that be sins that they do to us now that hurt us, or the original sin, Adam's sin, that caused the fall, that caused our world to go into suffering. God puts his curse on Adam as he's kicking them out of the garden, in Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. God promises Adam that he will have to work hard to survive. He promises him that there'll be thorns and thistles and that things will go against him. You see, although we're freed of the eternal curse for our sin, we're not free of this world. We're not free of the consequences of our sin and those of those around us. We're not free of the pain that everyone goes through. I watched a documentary recently from Jonah Hill, um, and he was talking to his therapist who's helped him get through some emotional problems. And one thing that his therapist really stuck with me. He said, in all walks of life, there'll be three things that will definitely follow you. You will always have uncertainty, you will always have pain, and you will always have hard work. Just like that curse that God put on Adam. Until we reach the new heavens and the new earth, we will always experience pain alongside happiness. So, if our purpose isn't happiness, what is it? What helps us going through those hardships? What can we fix our eyes on? What keeps us going when we just want to quit? Our legs are aching and we can't breathe. Well, Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We focus on what is ahead. We focus on what God wants us to do. And then in Philippians as well, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What Paul's saying here is that whatever happens, he will serve the purposes of Christ. He will honour him, whether in his life or his death. This is the purpose of our lives, to get to know God's will for us and to live it out. We need to choose to trust in God and choose to trust that he cares for us. We need to choose to live with joy until we find the contentment that Paul talks about in Philippians. In chapter 4, verses 10 to 13, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So by practicing and with the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul has learned to live whatever his situations are. He's learned that his situation should have no bearing on his joy and his peace. Now let's have a look at this picture, hopefully. So, what looks bigger in the picture? The air freshener, right? 
But how can the air freshener be bigger than the car? How would it have got in the car in the first place if the air freshener was bigger? You see, sometimes we feel like our problems are bigger than God's power. We feel like our problems are bigger than God. We need to remember that it's just because they're closer. They look bigger. They're all we can think about because they're right under our noses. But what if we brought God closer? What if we thought about God as much as we thought about our problems? What if we concentrated on God's purposes and what he wants us to do and lived the way he wanted us to and put our problems into perspective? You see, when we focus on God, our problems pale into insignificance. Now, I'm not belittling anyone's pain. Some people go through some really, really tough things. And it can take time for us to focus on God and put those things to the back of our minds. But we need to find what God has for us. He has so much more. We are here to live out God's purposes, whatever they look like in our lives. We need to know God through the Bible, through prayer, and through talking to our Christian brothers and sisters. We need to work out what God's purposes are in our own lives. When we do that, we can focus on what's ahead. Our purpose is not happiness. So let's put our natural emotions to one side for a minute. Let's not take the Bible out of context because that can lead us down some dangerous paths. So instead of focusing on our happiness, instead of focusing on ourselves, let's abandon ourselves and focus on him. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.